You are listening to Sunday Gospel Reflections, a podcast made possible through the work of the Institute of Catholic Culture. I'm Father Hezekiah Carnazzo, founder and executive director of the Institute and your host for this program. In this podcast, we'll explore the historical and literary context, themes, and significance of the readings for the coming Sunday. This podcast was originally recorded as a video. For the full viewing experience, please visit us at instituteofcatholicculture.org. Blessed is our God at all times, both now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. O Master who loves mankind, illuminate our hearts with the pure light of your divine knowledge, and open the eyes of our mind to understand the teachings of your holy scriptures. Instill in us also the fear of your blessed commandments, that we may overcome all carnal desires entering upon a spiritual life, and understanding and acting in all things according to your holy will. For you are the enlightenment of our souls and bodies, O Christ God, and you be give glory together with your eternal Father and your holy, gracious, and life-giving Spirit, both now and ever, into ages of ages. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Here we are. Welcome back. What is called the seventh Sunday in ordinary time, which is the Sunday before the beginning of the fast. Man. Right? Before Ash Wednesday. That's right. And here we are kind of at the gateway. So we should be paying close attention to what the church gives us on this day because it's kind of like that. It's a gateway. And so we're going to pay attention, especially in light of, in view of our Lenten journey. And maybe we'll have a few things to say about that as we proceed. But why don't we begin with giving all the biblical passages here, Annie? Yeah, so just prior to Lent, we head to the book of Leviticus for our first read. I was reading, this is only one of two times that it shows up in the lectionary through all three lectionary cycles. So only twice? Special Sunday. So much for 99% of the Bible being covered in the new lectionary. (laughs) I guess. I don't know. Maybe in the daily mass readings, it shows up probably. But on Sundays, this is one of two times it says. Okay. Anyway, Leviticus chapter 19 is where we are headed, and we will read verses 1 and 2, and then verses 17 and 18. The responsorial psalm is Psalm 103. The gospel is from Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 48. And the epistle is St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 through 23. Now, I would just note that it was last week that we were doing our study and we looked back at this passage, not knowing. Not even knowing. But uh, here we are. We're, we're going to cover this first sentence, uh, first verse. We actually went back and, and referenced last week. And so we're following a theme, which is good to see things like that happen because you know you're on track, right? You're like, that right. passage is going to work with this one. We're not the only ones that thought that. So so here we are in Leviticus 19, chapter, verses 1 through 2, and then skipping all the way to 17 through 18. Let's go ahead. All right, here we go. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the whole Israelite community and tell them, Be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. You shall not bear hatred for your brother or sister in your heart. Though you may have to reprove your fellow citizen, do not incur sin because of him. Take no revenge and cherish no grudge against any of your people. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
I am the Lord. Hmm. Sounds like the words of Jesus to me. Hmm, I know, what a surprise. right? What a surprise that Jesus isn't just making something up, which is really important for us right here at the outset, Annie, is just to say, you know, if you don't know the Old Testament, you don't know the new. Because Jesus is calling the people back in the in calling us back to our original identity as children of God, which we'll have something to say about that. But just on the, this point, is just saying, guys, if you love the gospel, you've got to love the Old Testament. And then you'll understand what when Jesus is preaching that he's preaching in a context in which the people understand what he's saying. He's not just like out there big, let me just make stuff proceed up. to make up a new way of <laughs> fall you know being a disciple or new whatever no no no, no. the new the, the new testament is very much a calling back to the original purpose of the old testament right is a return a restoration of god's original plan and so you you get this here right a fulfillment uh, if you will jesus was saying in last week's gospel yeah 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 so tell us about the book of leviticus sure so this is one of my favorite little, you know, hobby horses. So if you've heard me on this hobby horse before and you're watching this on recording, which all of you are, you can just fa fast forward. No, don't fast forward. Yeah. Just well, listen anyway. Okay. The book of Leviticus was written to the Levites by the Levites. Yes. Surprise, mm -hmm. surprise. Well, you're going to say to me, Father Hezekiah, you're not a traditionalist because Moses wrote the book of Leviticus. And I'm going to say, yes, I'm just such a traditionalist. I actually know who Moses was. Yes, Moses was a Levite. Really? How do you know that? Exodus chapter one. Keep your hand here in our text. We're going to go back to the book of Exodus. And this is part of our story that we have to understand. Exodus chapter one, ch uh, sorry, chapter two, verse one. Exodus chapter two, verse one. Now a man in the house of Levi went and took a wife, a daughter of Levi, and the woman conceived and bore a son, and the rest of the story goes, this is the birth of Moses, okay? Yeah. Moses was a Levite. Now, that's step number one in understanding the book of Leviticus. Step number two is to turn your Bible to Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32 gives us the story of the golden calf. You remember Moses went up on the mountain, and the people of God were at the base of the mountain, and um, the golden calf incident proceeded. And just point out a couple of things that are important for those that are not familiar with this. We'll look at um, chapter 32, verse 1. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said, Up, make us gods. Who shall go before us as this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt. We do not know what has become of him because the mountain's on fire, right? The top of the mountain is smoking. It's on fire. There's lightning bolts shooting out of it. And Moses is up there having a little vacation with the Lord. Okay. And you're probably like, he's not coming down. Yeah, like, that guy died. That. <laughs> you know, we're finished. Okay. Because if the gods aren't on your side in that culture, the way of thinking, right? Uh, the, if the gods aren't on your side. You're done um, because they're going to be on the uh, on the on the side of the of your enemies. OK, and so they've given up on the idea of, of, of monotheism. They've already even been introduced to it mm -hmm. at this point, being having lived in Egypt for as long as they did. But here we are in chapter two and Moses comes down the mountain. And um, well, this is the story of the golden calf, right? Verse 
three and four is the golden calf. And then verse six. And they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. That's in front of the golden calf. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Now, this is a biblical way. If you have children in the room, I must speak very kind of vaguely. I think you could figure this out. They weren't playing on the swing set, if you know what I mean. All right. They're, why do I know that? Because the worship of the calf god, Apis, was uh, known among the Egyptians. As I've said so many times, it was easier. It wasn't me that said it. I think it's Scott Hahn who said it. It's easier to get Israel out of Egypt than Egypt out of Israel. They come with Egypt in their heart, right? So when they turn to the God, they, they're like, here, make up gods. Well, look, what are you going to do? You're going to look around and be like, well, what do we know? Well, we know the God Apis. The God Apis, the calf God, was the worship uh, proper to the firstborn in Egypt. Now, we have to step back for a moment and remember that in, in the beginning, in Genesis, Adam and Eve were meant to be priests of paradise. And that priesthood was passed down through the uh, through the firstborn son, who was the eldest of the family. We talked about this in the Institute a lot uh, quite a bit. Comes through, you know, Enoch and Noah and 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 Shem, and uh who who St. Ephraim says is Melchizedek, who was a priest and king, right? So the idea of the priesthood of God's people present prior to the Levitical priesthood. But it was a priesthood of the firstborn, right? The eldest of the family. Right. And here in Exodus chapter 32, well, we pull out the old God of the firstborn and they rise up to play because the way that the Egyptians worshiped the God Apis was that the firstborn would enter into a playful situation in which they worshiped through this type of activity. Wow. And uh, Moses comes down, and what does he see in verse 19? And as soon as he came down near the camp, and he saw the calf and the dancing, okay, Mm -hmm. they weren't doing the Virginia reel, uh, Moses' (laughs) anger burned hot, and he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of, of the mountain. And then verse 21, and Moses and Aaron what did this people do that you have brought a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, let not your anger be burn hot. You know this people. And he says, and he goes on to say, I threw this stuff in the fire and poof, out came this golden calf. Okay, which is nonsense. Verse That was verse 24. And then verse 25. And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose for Aaron and let them break loose to their shame among their enemies, then Moses stood at the gate of the camp and said, Who's on the Lord's side? So he draws a line in the sand. And uh, all of you come to me if you're on the Lord's side. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves to him. Why did they gather themselves to him? Because he was a Levite. And they're like, support our brother. We're, we're, you know, we're Moses people. We're Levites. So they all join him at that moment in which the firstborn who was supposed to be leading their people in worship led their people astray to worship false gods. And now we have to keep reading. Verse 27. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put every man his sword at his side and go to and forth the gate to the gate throughout the camp and slay every man his brother and every man his companion and every man his neighbor. And the sons, well, they're going to go, What's? Well, I don't have time to develop the whole thing, but Sure. So what they're going to do is that is everyone who is engaged in this act of illicit behavior 
is going to be the one are going to get sick and are going to be slain because he he made them drink of the waters as the waters of judgment. You can read the rest of the story here and they end up getting sick from it if they were guilty. Yeah, we can develop that another time. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses and there fell to the people that day about 3000 men. So here's the 3000 of the leaders of the people, right? They're gone. And Moses said, today, you have ordained yourselves for the service, right? the, the worship of the Lord, each one at the cost of his son and of his brother, that he may bestow a blessing upon you this day. Okay, there it is. That's the critical moment for the book of, of Leviticus. It's at that moment the book of Leviticus is written, give or take, while they're there in the desert. The point is that it's on that day or that point when the Levites are ordained by God to then take over for the firstborn priesthood, okay? You can go listen to my series on swords and serpents if you want this uh, in more detail, but it helps us understand the book of Leviticus because the book of Leviticus, as I like to say, is the book of Leviticus, Levi, right? It's Levi is one of the sons of Israel, Jacob, Israel, one of the 12 sons of, of Israel, and uh, these are his sons. And so they now become priests, the Levitical priests, um, which is a band-aid on the plan which God had for his people, which was that the firstborn would be the priests of uh, the family. The eldest, the king, would sanctify his people. It would be a priest king, if you will. Hmm. And so it's here that we get into the we get into the book of Leviticus at this moment, of course, then the book of Leviticus is known for kind of two things, but it's, it's known for its laws, right? Mm-hmm. Detailed laws about what they're to eat and not eat, and detailed laws about how they're to worship and about how they're to treat their neighbor, okay? It's very detailed, and so a lot of people are like, mm, it's boring, It's I can't read this thing, it's just, ah. Well, that's because it's the Levit- it's a the priest book. How many of you guys have never read the book which instructs the priest how to celebrate the mass, okay? I'm not going to, you know, turn this way, up there, genuflect there, turn to the left, do open your hands like this, put them back together, okay? You don't read it because you're like, that's boring, that has nothing to do with me. Well, this is the thing, is that the, the book of Leviticus is just kind of like that. Hmm. It's for the Levites, telling them how they're to live their life now as priests of God, and uh, in many ways, doing two things recalling them to the original identity for which all of Israel was supposed to live, and that is a life of, of loving communion with those around them, especially in their relationship with God. And then in that relationship with God, detailed uh, details of how they're to worship, because why? Well, the, the golden calf is a prime example. You didn't have a lot of instruction. The people go astray. So God said, don't do that, but do this. It's like disciplining your son. You're like, okay, son, you can't figure it out. Do this exactly this way. And that's what the book of Leviticus is about. So here we are in chapter 19 of the book of Leviticus. That's my. Okay. So then how does chapter 19 and this passage particularly fit into that? Can you. It fits into it just, just right. It's kind of the heart actually of the book of Leviticus, but it it fits into it. Just like what I said, it's a recalling of the Levites and by extension, all, all of God's people, but, and and we're going to see that because Jesus is going to take this and then apply it to all the people, right. In the new Testament, not just to the Levites, but he's going to say, Hey, this is how you're supposed to be. This is who you are. 
And, and, then, and then once you understand who you are, you understand why I'm asking you to do what I'm asking you to do, all of these things, right? And so you'll see this is, if you just, I'm just going to move back in my book a little bit, and I'm going to see about the cleansing of infected houses, ceremonial uncleanness, mm -hmm. ritual atonement, eating of blood, which uh, forbidden, because there's a pagan practice to consume blood because the pagans thought there was life in it. So they would try to consume the blood or, or, or baby things, you know, so that, you know, because the life was in it, life power, I'm going to eat that and get that. It's all pagan ideas. The Lord says, no, you can't do that anymore. Right, right. And then a bunch of stuff about how to worship, right? The feast of the Lord, the Sabbath year, the redemption and all this. Stuff. I'm just looking at those titles on the pages. So you get that. And then, and like I said, chapter 19 is kind of the heart and center of this whole business, right? Chapter 19, verse one. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to all the congregation of the people of Israel, you shall be holy. Stop fooling around with the golden calf, okay? You shall be holy for the Lord your God is holy, right? You are in the image and likeness of God. That's what that's saying. Well, when's the last time I heard that was Genesis before the fall? This is a recalling to man's original identity, his reference point of how he's to live his life as God lives his life, right? Mm -hmm. And then lo and behold, what do you have in this chapter? Just take a look. Well, first of all, when you offer sacrifice, okay? So when obviously there's worship language going on here, but look at verse nine. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field to its very border. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor. Hmm. And for the sojourn, it start, you, you read this chapter, it starts to sound a lot like the, the Beatitudes, okay? Mm -hmm. You shall not steal, nor, okay, it's, but it's also, it sounds like the commandments, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. And you are, you shall not oppress your neighbor or rob from him. The wage, so it's, it's kind of almost like the Ten Commandments and the, and the Beatitudes kind of mixed together, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. You shall do no injustice to the judgment. Why? Because you're supposed to live like God lives. That's Levites, what you're supposed to do, because it's what you're supposed to do before this. That's what everyone was supposed to do. But you're going to be the beginning of this restoration. Okay. So hmm. that's, a, that's kind of my answer to that, Annie, is just kind of the, what, what's going on here in this chapter, particularly, but by seeing it in its bigger context of the book itself. Okay. So, well, in that case, this command to be holy because the Lord is holy. I mean, can you talk about that in light of the fact, as you so often remind us, that God is love. I feel like this kind of fits in when you, you know, we talked last time about the, the commandments yeah. that, that were being placed on the people and that this was, we talked about it in light of, of love. Sure. I mean, I guess I, I can repeat what I was saying that time or last time in, in light of what's being said here, right? It, because right after it says you're, you'd be holy, then it gives some instructions, doesn't it? What's mm -hmm. that mean? Well, you shall not bear hatred. Don't hate your brother. So then if you don't hate your brother, you love him, right? So so we're to, we're to live as God lives, God who is love, John tells us in his epistle. And we're to live in that way. Well, what is love? And this is going to be the door, the, the key that unlocks the door of all of the Old Testament laws, as well as the teachings of Jesus. Love is, as I said so many times, the giving of our life to the beloved. I hope you've memorized that. It gets stuck in your head. The giving of my life to my, right? No greater love. There's no... You want to talk about love, you want to talk about the greatest form of love, that's real love. There's no greater love have any man than to give his life for his friend, right? To 
pour out his life. Yeah. Um, we oftentimes think about that in terms of like who like, oh, I'll jump in front of a bus to help my friend. Yeah, that's yes, but love is that in all instances, authentic love is, right? No matter whether it's it's jumping in front of a bus such that I die or that I actually serve my brother and die to my to myself, right? I set myself aside that he may be served, that he may live. This is this is what love is. And so all of these teachings now um, uh, flow from that. You, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, for I am the Lord, right? So so this this what's being called for in Leviticus, and you should read these things in between these verses that were skipped, because it's all about that. It's all about that because what happened at the at the at the golden calf? They allowed their trust in God to die in their heart, and they turned and they poured out their life to the one for whom they were not made, the God Apis, right? But no. We're not to do that. We're to pour our life to God who has given himself to us. So love God. And then having been refashioned in his image and likeness, we then love our brother as he has loved us. Now you say that sounds like Jesus. Well, yes, because Jesus is just telling you what the Old Testament said. (laughs) And he's sitting there to the Levites going, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And he's saying, guys, remember what, why you're, you were called in the first place because the firstborn didn't do this. It wasn't a matter of whether they slit the throat of the goat or the calf the right way or on what day. No, it was, it was a matter of your identity in the image and likeness of God. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Let me share Uh, with you. Let me share with you a beautiful insight from St. Leo the great, if you don't mind, please. Okay. He says, he himself says, be holy for I am holy. I got to say that again. He himself says, be holy for I am holy. That is to say, choose me and keep. Remember last week's reading that we had, right? About choosing the commandments and living before you fire and water. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He himself says, be holy for I am holy. That is to say, choose me and keep away from what displeases me. Do what I love, love what I do. I, if, if what I order seems difficult, come back to me who ordered it. I love that line because I always talk about being theocentric in our, in our study of the faith. Always go back to the Lord, not just our study of the faith, but in in our moral life, Hmm. return to the Lord because you don't have any strength to do anything apart from him. Come back to me who ordered it so that from where the command was given, help might be offered. I who furnished the desire will not refuse support. Fast from contradiction. Abstain from opposition. Let me be your food and drink. None desire in vain what is mine. For those who stretch out toward me, seek me because I first sought them. Isn't that beautiful? That's that's the, the church's understanding of, of, um, of, uh, of grace alone, right? A great by all things are by the grace of God. You seek, we seek the Lord because He first put in our hearts the, the His love, right? And uh, and then notice what He says: "Let let me be your food and drink." Okay, and so I'm just going to say this in light of of Lent, which is coming. 
that we fast from the things of this earth during Lent, not because the things of this earth are bad. There's no, no such thing as sinfully d- delicious chocolate cake. Okay, that's anti-Christian. Okay, there's nothing bad about chocolate cake. Well, at least if you eat it in moderation, right? right but right. but but there's nothing bad about chocolate cake. But what's its place in the order of things, right? Are you is your are you hungry for chocolate cake? Or are you hungry for the Lord? I remember when I was at college, these students, it would it was Ash Wednesday, and they that's the one day they had to keep the fast. So they waited until <laughs> midnight. I where this is going, yeah. yeah. They waited until midnight, and they got the grills going, and the hamburgers ready. And as soon as midnight, dong, boom, they're taking the hamburgers off the grills and eating them. Guys, you missed the point. You missed the point that the whole idea of the fast is to, is to allow the hunger, which we feel in our body to remind us of a higher hunger, which we have for the Lord, and then to choose him first and then all things in relationship to him. And that's kind of what's given to us here um, in, in, in this passage. And so, and so, um, yeah, I think we can move on, Andy, unless you had another question here. No, I was going to move on to the responsorial psalm in light yeah. of, I mean, talking about loving our neighbor as ourselves. we're supposed to be like the Lord who is kind and merciful. Yeah. As I think it was Pope Francis that said, mercy is love in action. Mm-hmm. I was speaking with a friend of mine the other day who asked, I was asked about forgiveness. So what really is forgiveness? And I said, it's, I, didn't, I don't think I actually said this, but what I was, what I, the way I said it, I don't know, but I said, love it's love in action right forgiveness is the the desire that the other live and not just live like whatever but that they live in the lord that they are rectified we oftentimes find the difficulty with forgiveness because we 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 mix up forgiveness and forgetfulness we think forgiveness is forgetfulness i can i'm going to move on no no, the more you try to forget, the more you remember, right? And so when that offense has been made uh, uh, then against you or against one you know, it's hard to forget that. But we are placed in one another's lives, not to be judged during executioner, but to be heavenly physicians in the image and likeness of our heavenly physician, right? And so we see another's weakness and their sin and their vices. We should be asking ourselves, how can I help this person be restored in the image and likeness of God, right? Mm. And so the Lord is kind and merciful. I mean, has he not been merciful to us? We should then turn to our neighbor and be merciful to them, not in a way of forgiveness, forgetfulness, but in a matter of loving them into existence, finding a way in which we can help the other grow through their weakness, grow so that that weakness, that, 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 that um, wound is healed. And they become everything that God wants them to be. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all my being. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, all these gifts he's given to you. Then you say, what's the response? Is thank you, Jesus, right? Yeah. He's pardoned all your iniquities, heals all your ills. He redeems your life from destruction, crowns you with kindness and compassion. Merciful and gracious is the Lord, slow to anger and abundant in kindness, not according to our sins. Does he deal with us, nor does he requite us according to our crimes? As far as the east is from the west, so far has he put our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. How beautiful that is. And I would just encourage you as you're singing this this Sunday 
to then ask yourself, are you living in this image and likeness? Hmm. Yeah, because that's the calling of great Lent. That's the calling of our journey of Lent to be conformed to the Lord in all these ways. Well, I think we've talked about this before, but uh, showing mercy, forgiving someone is the ultimate kind of almsgiving. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm going to share with you St. Fulgentius of Rusp. I think it's Rusp. Rusp? I don't know. What I ask, do you think cannot be forgiven us when the Lord forgives all our iniquities? Or what do we think cannot be healed in us when the Lord heals our, all our diseases? Or how is there anything still lacking in to, to the healed and justified person whose desire is satisfied with good things. Hold on to that thing. We're going to talk about being, being perfect in a moment, okay? Yeah. <laughs> or how is he not b- believed to gain the benefit of complete forgiveness to whom a crown is given together with love and mercy? Therefore, let no one despairing of the physician, there it is, our heavenly physician, remain in his infirmity. Let no one downplaying the mercy of God waste away in iniquities, okay? So it's really an encouraging encouraging word of, of of saying do not despair of your own situation or that of your brother mm. for god is here to be our healer our restorer to bring us back as he did with the levites to our original identity in his image and after his likeness let's take a look at the gospel matthew chapter 5 what is it chapter 5 verse 38 i believe right 38 Amy? yeah is where yeah. we are beginning this time around all right here we go Jesus said to his disciples, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, offer no resistance to one who is evil. When someone strikes you on your right cheek, turn the other one as well. If anyone wants to go to law with you over your tunic, hand over your cloak as well. Should anyone press you into service for one mile, go for two miles. Give to the one who asks of you and do not turn your back on one who wants to borrow. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your heavenly father. For he makes his son rise on the bad and the good and causes rain to fall on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what recompense will you have? Do not the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brothers only, what is unusual about that? Do not the pagans do the same? So be perfect, just as your heavenly father is perfect. Oh, easy stuff here from Jesus, I think. Um, Well, this is, you know, coming, I mean, this is like right after what we read last week. You know, this, you've heard it said, but I say to you this, and then it's like always up in the ante, right? Right. I'm kind of wondering, since we we have the context already here, this, you know, you've heard it said where? I mean, yeah. were these like old sayings that would have been rather familiar to the people that yeah, just look at well, look at look at our the first, what's the first one here? Eye you've heard it said an eye fried two for yeah. Okay, hold your hand there. Go to Leviticus okay. chapter 20, not Leviticus, Exodus, Exodus chapter 21, chapter 21. Well, you'll see in chapter 22 very clearly in, in verses 
8 and following the Ten Commandments. Mm -hmm. Chapter 21, verse 23. Yeah, verse 23. If any harm follows, then you shall give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Okay, and so forth. All right. So, yes, these these statements Jesus is saying, the people know these by heart, right? And so he's he's holding them the law up in front of them. And just as he was doing last week, he's going, he's saying, look, you don't look at the law as an exterior reality, look at it as an interior reality, right? Or don't look lustfully. Is you you hurt you're not supposed to, you know, do the Adultery, adultery. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. He says, he says, but don't even look less because what's here is what is what's going on. Your actions are the fruit of who you are. You can't divide the two one from the other. Yeah. Um, and so in a similar way here, Jesus is going back to the old testament and saying and, and just taking it, taking it a step further. I thought, you know, Dr. Bergsma, who we regularly have at the Institute of Catholic Culture, um has a nice insight on this. I thought I'd share it with you. He says, in these antitheses, in these antitheses, Jesus, I think that's how you say antitheses, but uh, yeah, like an antithesis, right? right? Antithesis. Jesus presumes to correct not only the common interpretation of the law of Moses, but sometimes the law of Moses itself. It is difficult to exaggerate the incredible shock that would have been felt by Jesus' contemporary Jewish audience in hearing him teach in this way. Jesus te- says things that only God has the authority to pronounce. Jesus begins with quoting the Mosaic standard for court justice, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. That is, a judge should limit the punishment of an offender to the amount of harm he causes. We observe that this law of Moses was itself, and this is where I think nice insight. Hmm. We observe that this law of Moses was itself an act of mercy in limiting punishments. So you remember, the Old Testament law is given in the context of the pagan world in which the people are living. And God's like a, like a merciful father, like drawing them. Think maybe he's not going to give them what Jesus is about to say. But in the book of Exodus, he's going to bring them closer from where they were, sure. which is a world lived, a world of vengeance. In which I not only have an eye for an eye, but like I really go after the other person, right? So we observe this law of Moses was itself an act of mercy and limiting punishments. Human instinct is to punish the evildoer with more punishment than he inflicted and with good reason. If a man destroys the eye of another man and his own eye is put out as punishment, both perpetrator and victim end up with one eye. But is that fair that their fates should be the same? The victim did nothing wrong. The perpetrator did vile evil. So shouldn't perhaps the perpetrator have both eyes put out so that his fate is worse than his victims? So we see it is not illogical to return more upon the head of the evildoer than he did to the other. But the law of Moses was lenient and did not punish with full vengeance. The recompense was limited to the amount of evil done. And Jesus calls his disciples to transcend these attempts to settle scores with those uh, who harm us. And so again, I go back to what I was saying before this, this whole thing, the amount of beatitudes, the, the, the beatitudes given there, uh, and, and the following teachings are all in the context of Matthew, getting the, the disciples ready to be apostles, ready to go out when they go out, how are they supposed to act? Are they supposed to be like the Pharisees? Are they supposed to be like the Sadducees? 
they're supposed to be like the Levites, right? And they're given this, this new way of living the law of God, which goes to the heart of the matter. It goes to the center. It goes to Jeremiah 31, 31, in which the law of God was written on stone. And God says, not enough. It's got to be written in here. And only when it's written in here will man begin to live holy as God is holy. And then to live as sons of our heavenly father. Yeah. And this is, this is the key that's going to open up all of this for us. And this, this, the key that opens up Leviticus, right? You are to be in the image and likeness of God. That's what you were made for in the very beginning. It's what our first parents turned their back on. And it's what the, what the Jews did at the time of the, of the, they turned their back on this, the time of the, uh, of the Exodus, the golden calf. And we continually do this in our sin. But Jesus is going to say, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You're to live your life in the image and likeness of God. You're to be, to have God's love within you and flowing out of you. And how does that look? It doesn't look like just fulfilling a commandment and getting away with all the rest, but it looks like having your heart transformed so that you might desire to love as God loves. And notice then, Notice that Jesus isn't interested in laws. So here's and here's what I think we might be might might do when we look at this. Like, oh, Jesus just made the law more strict, right? There was one law, and he just made it more strict, yeah. right? No, Jesus isn't given a new law; he's giving a new life. And this is why, beautifully, in verse forty-five, it says, "So that." Let's go to verse forty-three, just to go to this few verses here. Ready? Mm-hmm. You have heard it said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. So that, right? So here's, that's, this is the key. So when you hear so that in the Bible, pay attention. So you can say, oh, why is Jesus saying that? Why is he teaching this? Well, it's, oh, Jesus is teaching. Well, it's just good. No, so that you may be sons of your father. So that you might share in his nature, right? Natures do things, right? I, I have human nature. I'm able to act like a human, like a man, right? Dogs have doggy nature. They do doggy kind of things. They bark, right? Yeah. God does God kind of things. And you've been given a God nature. So you got to start living like God, doing God kind of things. Yeah. And that's what this is all about. When you go out there and you're living among the heathen, and you're encountering the unbeliever, and you're going out to the, and the Jews are persecuting you, or whatever the case may be, I'm talking about in the gospel here, um, um, then, then respond in this way. Hmm. And when you respond in this way, you're going to respond the way that God lives, which is why Jesus went to the cross. And what did he do? He, he struck back, he spit at them, he, you know, no. He remained silent. He loved them. As my dad used to say, he says, he used to say this, kill them with your love. In other words, kill their hatred, right? Kill them with your love. In other words, when, you, when they're hating you, you just love them twice as much back and you'll destroy the hatred from the inside. It's like light shining in the darkness, right? And that's what Jesus is calling us to here, to be children of God. And then come to come from, I'm going to connect that verse then, verse 45 to verse 48 you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect to which you say possible yeah like what are you You kidding me what (laughs) well yeah actually 
Yes. And now this might be hard for our Lutheran brothers and sisters to follow, following Luther, who believed that we remain as dung covered by snow. No, we're actually, this is what Paul says in Romans chapter six. Hold your Bible where you're at. Flip with me to Romans chapter six. Romans chapter six. You there, Annie? I am there. Romans chapter six. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? St. Paul understands it. That's all. Because as we read in the book of Revelation, nothing unclean shall enter the presence of God. We are called to be holy. We are called to live a life of holiness. Thus the reason for baptism and confession and the mercy of God and forgiveness of God to open ourselves up so that God's life becomes our life. So that the two become one. So here we are back in, in Matthew chapter, uh, chapter five. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And notice what comes next. We're going to, I'm just going to give you a little step. Just jump ahead here. I was going to say. Look at verse, is... chapter six, verse two. Yep. Alms, verse five. Mm-hmm. Prayer, mm-hmm. verse 16. Fasting. Okay. Now, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself here because next time we, we meet, we're going to be in Lent. Yeah. But there it is. There it is. There's your recipe. So I, a little warning here, because there's going to be a lot of talk around, well, what are you going to do for Lent this year? Well, I don't know about you, but I'd follow the teachings of Jesus. When you fast, not if you fast. When you fast, yeah. When you pray. And when you give alms. Mm-hmm. Okay, these are the three there's a three ingredients. It's like the three stu- uh, stool uh, legs of a stool, right? If you want that stool to stand up, you better make sure those three legs are strong. And that's Jesus' instruction. You want to live as a son of God, then you do these three things, okay? And then we're going to look at that as we as we continue our study together. Yeah. Well, let's um, close up shop here with the second reading, which I think follows seamlessly, even though we've been kind of, you mm-hmm. know, just marching through First Corinthians here. Um, I, I think it's kind of interesting, this reading in light of, of the first reading in the gospel, you know, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you and, and goes on to talk about if you destroy God's temple, um, you're destroying that person. You're holy. You are meant to be holy. Let's go. Let's just read it through. It's worth it. Let's okay. do it. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, here we go. First this Corinthians is the, chapter three, three, verse 16 is where we are starting. Mm hmm. Brothers and sisters, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For the temple of God, which you are, is holy. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you considers himself wise in this age, let him become a fool so as to become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in the eyes of God. For it is written, God catches the wise in their own ruses. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are vain. So let no one boast about human beings, for everything belongs to you, Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All belong to you and you to Christ and Christ to God.
Isn't that, isn't that beautiful? Yeah. And, um, and I think we can just go back to the first verse there of the book of Leviticus that we are called to open our hearts up to God's way of life. We are to be holy as God is holy. And I said, I think I said a few weeks ago, you know, we, we oftentimes we define holiness as being separate, right? What does it mean to be holy? It's to be separate, right? Or maybe in a, in a more common or pious way, we might think, oh, holy are those ones who have the halo around their head and have been canonized, right? They're the saints, the word saint holy. So no, this is not a biblical concept of, of holiness. It's, 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 we are set apart. Yes. So that we might do, we might act. And this is why we are called to then to, 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 as Jesus is calling us to act toward our brother, because we're the temple of the Holy spirit. The God's life is dwelling within us. We are the holy people of God. And sure, we might sin and separate ourselves from that call to holiness, but we are nevertheless called to it. And to live that life of holiness that is within us, to live it out in relationship to those who God has placed in our life. Maybe just think about that one for a moment. You are the temple of God. When you walk into a store, when you walk into your home, when you walk into your church, when you walk with your neighbor, wherever you are, you're sitting in your car at a stoplight. You're the temple of God. Christian, what you have is what the entire world needs. If we would only live that out in relationship to our brother, as the Levites were called to, as Jesus was calling those around him to, we are also called to that life of holiness. May God bless you as we begin this journey of great Lent. I want to encourage you to join us this coming Monday for our, our evening study of, what are we calling it, Annie, for Pack packing bags. our bags, yeah. packing our bags. For, it's going to be a, a relaxed evening. I'm not going to give a big lecture. We'll have a couple little readings that we'll do together and have some discussion about how we're going to spend this Lent, this journey which is meant to bring us to the glorious light of the resurrection. To Christ our God be glory, both now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Institute of Catholic Culture's Sunday Gospel Reflections podcast. The Institute of Catholic Culture is an adult catechetical organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. I invite you to explore all we have to offer including over 900 hours of on-demand catechetical opportunities, and sign up for our upcoming events by visiting instituteofcatholicculture.org.